It is a Thursday edition of Locked On NBA, and Ben Golliver of Washington Post is with us from the bubble, and I could not be more excited for this show. I just, it, the playoffs are set. Like, the playoffs are set, Ben Golliver. Well, almost. The one team that we should probably really feel sorry and sympathetic for is the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Because all these other teams, the other 15 playoff teams, now know who they're going to play starting on Monday. The Lakers don't know until at least Saturday who they're going to play. So I don't know if that's a strategic advantage, uh, more prep time for these other teams. Uh, the Lakers obviously still have to prepare for, I think, four different teams possibly, depending on how things shake out. But uh, the other 15 are good to go. And I think we got some really, really juicy matchups in the first round. All right, before we dig deep into all these matchups, I'm starting right there. I just prepped for the Los Angeles Lakers recently for a game. And I'll be honest, in the 12 years I've been an NBA play-by-play announcer, Every time I've prepped for a team that won a championship, I knew it. I didn't feel like I was prepping for a championship team. They're 19th in the NBA in half-court offense. They're 19th in the league in three-point shooting. If they don't get out in transition, they struggle. I think this bracket is brutal for them. I think the three teams that are most likely to beat them are the three teams that they play. Portland, Houston, and the Clippers are the three teams to beat them. And I actually think we're going to get Houston, if Russell Westbrook's healthy and P.J. Tucker's healthy, I think we're going to end up with Houston versus the Clippers. I think this is a brutal stretch for the Lakers. I, I don't think you're alone in that skepticism or that kind of vulnerability talk with the Lakers. The one that really jumps out to me is the 19th and three-point shooting. Um, when you look at just who's won the Western Conference these last couple of years, obviously Golden State's reigning supreme, but Houston's made a bunch of deep runs. And just historically, if you're looking at like the final four teams in the last few years of the playoffs, they're always elite three-point shooting teams. They're always near the top of that order. Now, they might have defense, uh, you know, elite defense as well. They might have great perimeter playmakers. They may have other attributes, but that's usually a shared quality of the very best teams. And to be going into three series, like you're mentioning, in the Western Conference alone, where you could be uh, the, the worst three-point shooting team in all of those series, not to mention, you know, in a potential finals matchup with Milwaukee, same deal, that's a real steep hill to climb, and, and that just puts more pressure right to me on LeBron's shoulders. He's going to have to do all the creation for their shooters, keep life as simple as possible, and some of those guys are going to have to step up and just play better than they have so far. You know, circle Danny Green. Kyle Kuzma did have a nice night to build on uh, this week with the game winner, but uh, they're going to need those guys to do far more than they did so far during the bubble. The Houston Rockets force five more isolation possessions offensively than the average team in the NBA with all their switching defense. The Lakers only have one player who's an above average isolation player on their roster. That's LeBron. LeBron has been brutal in isolation so far in the bubble, making you wonder. The Lakers averaged .75 points per isolation against the Rockets this year. And then here's the killer to me. The Rockets mean that Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee can't play. They have to play Anthony Davis at the center. When Anthony Davis was at the center in the one game where he played against the Rockets after the Capella trade, the Lakers were minus 10 when AD was at center. Small sample size. But what's not a small sample size is the Lakers run when AD's at the four and not when he's at the five. They go from 19% of their possessions in transition to 16% of their possessions when he moves to the five. Because what makes AD great is he's got a cross match or he's outside of the paint and he releases and he outruns the world. But when he's got to play center and come from the baseline and not cross match, he can't run as much. And that's the key to the Lakers offense. That's why I think they're vulnerable. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very clear stylistic mismatch, positional mismatch. And, you know, at times this season, the Lakers didn't really look like they had totally figured out exactly how they wanted to attack Houston. Now, will that change during a playoff series when they're going to make adjustments? Will LeBron start to figure things out? You know, is he going to be able to get to the free throw line enough against their smaller front line where he's able to kind of force Houston's best lineups off the court? I mean, that's possible. He's going to put a lot of physical pressure um, on uh, guys like P.J. Tucker and Covington. I do have one wrench to throw into your plan here, though, about Let's get Houston to it. beating the, the Lakers. Let's get to it. Does here, here. does Houston beat Oklahoma City? Oh, you read my mind. I mean, that's that's the deal, right? And it was weird tonight. I was at the uh, the Thunder game, and Chris Paul jammed his thumb up a little bit. They wrapped it. Apparently, it wasn't a huge deal. He was shaking, and it was kind of bothering him. And I kind of felt like this dream season the Thunder had kind of flashed before my eyes a little bit because, of course, you know, he is doing so much for that team. But – he looks very comfortable here and in control um, in the bubble. Uh, obviously, he's invested a lot of sweat equity in just putting the bubble together, so you know you're going to get A-plus Chris Paul in the playoffs. And, of course, you've got just amazing storylines, You know whether it's James Harden uh, versus his former team, Russell Westbrook versus his former team, James Harden versus his former teammate with Chris Paul. Um, all those things are kind of hanging over that series. The only disappointing part, really, is this was the ideal series to not have in the bubble, right? I mean, can you imagine Russell Westbrook going back to Chesapeake Energy Arena in the playoffs and just what kind of a crazy charged environment that would be? Um, It would be just phenomenal. But uh, unfortunately, we're not going to get that, but we're going to get the bubble version. I expect tensions in that series to be really, really high. In the X's and O's part, we get back to the fact that Houston forces a bunch of isolation. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chris Paul are both top 20 in the league in isolation opportunities. Gilgus Alexander's in the 83rd percentile in efficiency on him. Chris Paul's in the 75th percentile on him. The the actual matchup really might be the fact that the Thunder can handle with their three guards in Gilgus Alexander and in Chris Paul and in Dennis Schroeder that they might be able to handle the isolation-forcing switching defense that the Rockets are going to throw at them. How do you think Steven Adams will hold up uh, in the big versus small thing that you were talking about with the Lakers, you know, in, in terms of the Lakers needing to pull their centers off? Do you think that he'll be able to stay on a little bit better, or is that going to be something where Oklahoma City has to go away from what they want to do as well? And then what does Oklahoma City do there? Because Danilo Gallinari is not going to be able to play the five. He's a bona fide scorer, but I wonder a little bit on how they – you know, who does Adams guarding Covington? Is Adams trying to guard PJ Tucker out in the corners? That does seem like a real, you know, that's where the, this Houston team's just taxes everyone in the in a different manner than what they're used to. I, I think the, you know, I don't have an answer on how Steven Adams fits into it, and I think that gets interesting. The other one I don't have an answer to is if you play th- this unique Houston team that many times in a row, do they become normal and that they become more playable the one time these two teams played after the capella trade i believe was january 20th and actually that's not right because capella wasn't traded till february so they have not played the best of my knowledge since capella got traded so we haven't had the small rockets play against the against the thunder yeah, I mean, I guess your hope is if you run a lot of screen roll with Steven Adams, he's going to just do a lot of damage in the basket area, or he can maybe he can pound the offensive rebounds like crazy, give you some second-chance points, second-chance opportunities, and now you're feeling like really good about uh, you know his ability to offset whatever he might be giving up on the other end. But 
you know, that he's not really a scorer. I mean, that's never really been who he is. It's not like you can just pound it down to him and, and you know, sort of like Milwaukee was doing with Brooke Lopez, right, where they're just able to get all this points against Houston's undersized guys. That's never really been Steven Adams' game. Also, I believe there was some sort of a, a leg injury to uh, Lou Dort uh, for the Thunder um, on uh, on Wednesday night as well. And that's, I mean, a huge piece for them, particularly in this series in general, but in this series as well from the defensive uh, perimeter standpoint, they're going to need him to be right, you know, to try to match up with uh, you know Houston's perimeter firepower. You know, whenever I look at Houston and I dig into these matchups with the Lakers or the Thunder as I have, it's obvious to me why they traded Capella. Like, I don't know that it's going to work, but it wasn't. It was working so badly, and I didn't realize it. Like, you know, I just it, yeah, it, I give him credit. It was easy to blame Westbrook. You know, that was the thing. Is like you had two non-shooters on the court at the same time, right? And that's just kind of death for how Houston wants to play. It, it closed the court for Harden. And I think it just made everybody unhappy too. People were kind of pointing fingers early in the season. That trade opened everything up on the basketball, on the court, but also from the personality standpoint too. It just kind of recentered everything and said, Westbrook, now you can be the only non-shooter. Your life's going to be a lot better that way. Clint Capella in the last two games against the Thunder was minus eighteen. Oh boy! I mean, that's what. Yeah, the, that's and what like I could kind of sense it. I, I could sense it too. I was down there in Houston uh, before the trade deadline, and he just kind of felt like a dead man walking around there. You know, like everybody just sort of realized, hey, this isn't really working. He seems like he's the odd man out. His salary's so big that you know ultimately it's going to prevent some other moves just because of the other two max salaries that they had. It just the writing was on the wall, and I think it it bled over to how they were playing because he knew it too. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see what his fresh start looks like uh, in Atlanta once he's fully healthy, once they're back on the court next season and all that. But from Houston's standpoint, it was a no-brainer. And it definitely made them uh, a much trickier team to match up with. And, uh, you know, it also made them just more, more lethal. It raised their offensive ceiling. I think the question for them is can they hold up? They don't go super deep into their bench. Uh, Gordon has been, you know, kind of banged up. If one of their big guys gets injured, you know, their best lineups start to look really different and, and even smaller than usual. I think that's the biggest question for them. But you know, I'm not sure OKC is totally poised to take advantage of that. Rockets were 19 and 12 this year against above 500 teams. Thunder were 12 and 20 against above 500 teams. Seems like a pretty big Well, this is where difference. the Thunder joyride, it kind of hits the crossroads, right? I mean... They've had a dream season. The biggest overachievers is either them or Memphis. I thought Sam Presti was GM of the year. People put Billy Donovan as coach of the year. I think Chris Paul is going to be what, you know, probably second team all NBA. Um, you know, all those storylines kind of get uh, put to the test here against a really good team in the first round. The Rockets and the Thunder match up in one of the most fun first round series. We'll run through the rest of the West as we continue Ben Golliver is in the bubble writing for the Washington Post. You can get all of his stuff at thewashingtonpost.com. I also suggest you go to Ben Golliver on Twitter. And while you're there, take a second and subscribe to his weekly newsletter. He's putting out great content for you with Ben Golliver on Twitter. Subscribe via that newsletter. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair, or a now 50-year-old <coughs> who uh, likes to mountain bike and road bike and do a lot of things like that. Uh, you need the support through every day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help 
You relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. Two great products for you. CBD Freeze with Menthol's award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube and CBD Recovery. Combine CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and Vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And now, a special deal for you on those duo of topicals, everything else at CBDMD to offer. 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. I know some people had a hard time with that uh, promo code. It's up, it's working, it's NBA, or you can try Locked on NBA. Both those should be working. That's once again, cbdmd.com, promo code NBA or Locked on NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Working to the 3-6 series, the Nuggets beat the Jazz all three times they played this year. Uh, Torrey Craig dominated defensively in this series on uh, Donovan Mitchell, who really, really struggled to score against Torrey Craig. Nikola Jokic battled with Rudy Gobert, but Jokic had good success in most of those matchups. Denver won all three matchups, but somehow I have a feeling that Utah didn't hate getting this matchup. Well, I think if you're Utah, this is probably the the, the ideal matchup, would you say, of, of the teams they possibly could have played? I mean, they obviously didn't want Houston again for a lot of the reasons we just described, and they have some you know tough history the last few years. I think if I were them, I would rather take my shot against Denver, which is sort of like this half-wounded team that really hasn't looked, you know, that phenomenal uh, in the bubble. I think that they're basically 500, uh, maybe three and four in the bubble, uh, you know, still trying to put the pieces together. I think if you're Utah, you'd take that over trying to unlock, you know, CP3 and, and everything that Oklahoma City's been doing. I mean, to me, things broke uh, pretty darn well for the Jazz. Well, they can't. They haven't shown an ability to stop Houston. Um, and in theory, you would say that this is a good matchup for the Jazz because their best player in Rudy Gobert impacts their best player in Jokic a great deal. But you know what? You look at the Nuggets' 106-100 win against the Jazz uh, earlier this year. Jokic had 28 points, four rebounds, and 10 assists in that game. Um, a, it was a close game, good game. Then in one of maybe the Nuggets' most impressive wins of the year, February 5th at Salt Lake City, the Nuggets only had seven players. They played P.J. Dozier and Vlado Kankar uh, 40 minutes combined because they didn't have enough players. Uh, Jamal Murray, Monty Morris, Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, and Torrey Craig all played like 38 minutes. Jokic was brilliant. He had 30 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists in that game. And then in the amazing double overtime game we got the other night where the two teams just went and, uh, you know, the Jazz lost a pretty mammoth lead, nine-point lead going into the fourth quarter and somehow got to sec overtime. Jokic, again, 30 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists. So, you know, mm. Jokic was just brilliant in all of these matchups, and the Jamal Murray-Nikola Jokic matchup was very, very difficult for the Jazz. Again, I get to the question in this of whether or not being a playoff series and having Jokic conduct the offense and running this unique pick and roll gets less unique, which is not a word, uh, becomes normalized <laughs> as the series goes on. And there is a, there, you know, nobody else plays the way Denver does. And I wonder what happens inside a playoff series there. Well, one thing we also know is that Jokic has some other layers to levels to his game. Like we saw it last year in the playoffs too. I mean, playoff Jokic was a different beast, especially once he got, his feet wet against San Antonio. I mean, his series against Portland was pretty darn special. He was doing stuff that I didn't think he was going to be capable of last year. So 
I've kind of been, you know, biding my time and kind of uh, tapping my foot impatiently, waiting to see playoff Jokic come back around this time. It should be a really interesting matchup. It's a great test for Rudy Gobert as well, kind of head-to-head high profile between those two guys. The only thing that I do worry about with this series, is it going to be the victim from a, a television visibility standpoint? Like, are they going to wind up just getting overlooked because the other series have bigger star level players and kind of juicier matchups? I mean, you talk about Luka versus the Clippers or LeBron versus Damian Lillard and um, obviously all the bad blood we mentioned between Houston and, and uh, Oklahoma City. I wonder... Does, does Utah-Denver slide under the radar? Like, is this the one that everybody just kind of forgets about? Some interest, I think there's a real chance of that. Some interesting statistical notes on this. The Jazz come in as the 10th best offense and the, and the 12th best defense. Denver comes in as the 6th best offense and the 16th best defense. And the differential, almost exactly the same. 2.4 to Utah, 2.3 to Denver. Denver has just won more games. Since both teams have been in the bubble... Denver's defense is 22nd in the NBA. Utah's is 14th. And Denver's offense is much better. Fifth, Utah's is 14th. So I think that's interesting. The other one that I wonder about, and talking to Kevin Pelton of ESPN, he said there isn't necessarily a trend here. But if you dig into what makes Denver great, uh, one is there's an incredible resilience to who they are. They're 19 and 16 this year, Ben, when they trail at the half. 19 and 16 when they trail at the half. That is awesome. The other one is their offense. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, that shows that they don't, they don't quit. And they, they believe in their stuff, too. I mean, they stick to it even if they're down. And they can also score points in bunches, too. Real quick, did you say 22nd in defense for them in the bubble? Yes. That's last. Wow. Right? Yeah, there's, that scares me, 20, man. I, that might, that there's might only 22 teams Utah. in the bubble about you yeah no their defensive rating in the bubble is a 123.5 it's terrible oh, oh my goodness well look Donovan Mitchell better yeah get uh, unlocked if that's the case right I mean come on the one that's also interesting on that matchup is the other one I'd say is Denver just lives on the offensive glass and again if you play them numerous times do you get used to that um the last one I uh, before we I don't want to do too much on this matchup I think the Torrey Craig-Donovan Mitchell thing is really interesting. So Torrey Craig has caused Donovan Mitchell a world of problems. But Gary Harris has got to play because he's going he's gonna to want to play. Will Barton's got to play now. Like, the, jet, the Nuggets getting healthy, I think the Jazz are going to be excited about. Even though they're more talented, but they got Michael Porter Jr., they got Paul Millsap. They, they, they almost, you know, the reason they traded Herman Gomez and Beasley was to clear this. But now all of a sudden, like, if you're starting Torrey Craig – to guard Donovan Mitchell, who are you not starting? Gary Harris, not starting Will Barton? And then how are you playing them enough to keep them engaged in the series? I think it's a fascinating uh, matchup in that regard. I mean, that actually could wind up making me lean Utah in this series too. I think if if Denver had gotten um, Dallas, I would have picked Dallas kind of without any question. Um, it didn't break that way, but now I'm thinking about, okay, the defensive issues that, that to me speaks to the continuity problems that you're describing. And you just want to know who your team is headed into the playoffs, right? I mean, some of this stuff is just like, we know exactly who we are. I thought Denver did know who it was before the hiatus. I'm not sure they've rediscovered themselves yet, you know, and you don't want to be injecting these kinds of uh, minutes and rotation type questions with key pieces right on the fly against a team that's, uh, you know, solid um, and, and knows who it is and has 
core players who have played together for years and have been in the playoffs together before. And that's kind of a tough ask. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too skeptical on Denver, but to me, these just kind of feel like red flags. Thoughts on Dallas versus the Clippers? I think I want to go see all, every game in this series in person. Uh, I was so overwhelmed and impressed by Luca's performance against Milwaukee uh, last Friday. I mean, the 19 assists, all these highlight level plays. And now he just gets this ridiculous test with a team that's probably got the deepest perimeter defensive core in the league, right? I mean, they can throw a lot of different looks at him. And his command and control of the games down here has just been superb, you know, excellent. And so now it's going to be, a, you know, a real stiff test for him right out of the gate. Um, you know, Dallas's offense has definitely supported him. Porzingis has been playing very well. We heard Doc Rivers tonight discuss what a tricky matchup those two big guys are, uh, those two star players are for Dallas in Porzingis and, uh, and Luka, what kind of uh, matchup problems they represent uh, for the Clippers. And the issue for the Clippers is they still have not had their best five guys together playing at all during the bubble because Montrez Harrell was out, uh, you know, dealing with family issues. So you know, they're in a situation where they're still trying to pull it together too. And I feel like there's been moments where Dallas's offense has just looked incredible um, even when they've been down here, not even just before the hiatus. Now, I think ultimately the the team that's going to break first here is the Mavericks. I think their defense has a lot of issues. They have not defended at a very high level. You saw what happened, you know, Damian Lillard, they gave up 61 points to him and had no answers whatsoever the other night. Now, you could say a lot of teams wouldn't have answers for Damian Lillard when he's in that kind of a zone. But I just think, you know, ultimately the Clippers' talent's going to win out here. I'll probably take the Clippers in maybe five or six, but I think it'll be a very entertaining five or six. One interesting note on these playoff series, if Dallas played Denver, excuse me, if the Clippers played Dallas, my guess is the Clippers would be about a five or six point favorites in game one and two. And then in games three and four in Dallas, it'd be about us push them or, you know, pick them. Mm -hmm. Then in game five, it would be the Clippers by maybe seven or eight just as time goes on. And then, you know, who knows, maybe six, the Clippers would be favored, but only because there's no home court, the Clippers in a series like this will be favored by four or five points in every single game. I think it's going to shorten playoff series because the favorite will be the favorite every single night. I'll be surprised if we get six and seven game series uh, because of that. Locke, I'm right there with you. That was actually one of my predictions from before the hiatus, but I've been second guessing myself in part because of just the chaotic feeling of being down here, you know, like which team has, which player, are they going to have the rotations? Are they the same team they were before? So I've been second guessing that, that line of reasoning, just because we've seen so many just, you know, crazy individual performances that can turn a game upside down. And we've seen so many teams trying to like fill in different rotation holes. I don't know, man. I, I was right there with you, but now I almost don't know what to expect. He is Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. We'll look at the Eastern Conference next when we continue. By the way, if you want to start your morning with news that matters in just 10 minutes, Axios Today host Nayla Boudou gives you the award-winning team of journalists from Axios. We'll bring you the latest analysis and insight in trends shaping the world. It's Axios Today. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto part customers for online for over 20 years. RockAuto.com shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And rather than be restricted when you go inside the store to what they have in stock, what their computer spits out, RockAuto.com's catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, old school, simple. Look at all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand specifications 
and prices you prefer. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or trunk. Right, Locked on, right? Locked on, right? Locked on. That's not a blip. That's just me saying it three times in a row. Right, rocked on four. Uh, in their how did you hear about us section. That's right, put locked on and how did you hear about us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com eastern conference with ben golliver all right we don't need to really talk about milwaukee orlando do we i sure hope not milwaukee's had a weird week though just real briefly i mean the kyle corver comments about hey we've got to respond to adversity and take it the right way the very next game Giannis uh just gets frustrated with some hard fouls from washington headbutts mo wagner kind of out of nowhere so he gets himself suspended they're not exactly going into the playoffs on a high note. Let's put it that way. But I think that their system and their talent and just the Giannis factor will carry them through Orlando quite quickly. The uh, We don't really need to talk about Toronto-Brooklyn, do we? No, Brooklyn, uh, let's at least tip our hats to them for looking a lot more competitive down here than I expected. Uh, they've, they've been pretty game in, in their um, – you know, in their run, and they actually, you know, basically held off Orlando for the seventh spot, which I didn't necessarily see coming when you're, you know, breaking this thing down, you know, before we got down here, we kind of thought Orlando would get up to the seven. Instead, they wind up losing five straight games, and and Brooklyn has a a pretty nice run, and so they get the seven. I'm not sure that's going to matter for anything. I'll take Toronto in, you know, five games at the most. All right, Philadelphia without Ben Simmons against the Boston Celtics. This was well, the, the this single, was the series the we all wanted, result. right? This is the one we wanted the most out of any series out there. Does it still have that to it? Well, you're right. I mean, this is like the the biggest rivalry going. Um, I think, unfortunately, the single funniest outcome here would be Philadelphia somehow defying all expectations and winning the series because I think pretty much everyone's ready to leave them for dead. Um, you know, seeing Embiid having injury issues. Simmons is out, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, other pieces just not really fitting together. Brett Brown scrambling, trying to find answers, but he just always looks like you know he they're just they're not available to him. To me, Boston's just a, a deeper team, a more versatile team, a better constructed team, a better fit team, better chemistry team, um, better coach team, and you know ultimately you add all that up. I don't I don't really see an argument for Philadelphia, and that's why I would be. So- so funny if they somehow shock the world and beat comes out, goes for 40, 20 and, you know, turns all these narratives on their head, but I just don't see it. I, I think Boston's going to handle this one pretty easily. I am beginning to feel like Boston is the forgotten team. They're the third ranked offensive team in the NBA, the fourth ranked defensive team in the NBA, the second best differential team behind Milwaukee, the number one differential team in the bubble, the number four offensive team in the bubble, the number three defensive team in the bubble. Like, maybe they're great. And there's not, like, if you go into the history of the league, when we're talking about teams that are in the top five in both categories, those teams win an awful lot of playoff series. Well, the way that you were discussing uh, Houston Lakers kind of being like that dream series that you want to see and and thinking that could be pretty interesting, that's exactly how I feel about Celtics-Raptors. I think that's like the kind of series that normally, just living in L.A., being the Western Conference guy, I would not get to pay that close of attention to just because I would have other things going on. I think if we wind up getting that second round series, which I expect we will, 
that's going to be one where it's like appointment television, got to go to every single game, hard fought, scrappy. I mean, just two teams that aren't going to want to give up two super well coached teams trying to make adjustments, you know, throughout the course of that series. That's the one that I'm really looking forward to. And I don't think Philadelphia here is going to be able to play spoiler. I just, you know, I think that they're most likely if they go out in the first round, don't they have the most challenging summer of any team yes. uh, out there when you're looking at major contracts in Horford and Harris that you're going to really struggle to unload given the cap environment. Um, you're going to have to make a decision. Do you break up and beat in Simmons? Uh, that's going to be something the fans don't want to hear, but you know, you've got to ask the question at least, and you're probably going to have to make a, a, cho- a coaching change on top of it because when you spend that much money on your roster and you make all those moves a couple of years in a row, you have to get out of the first round in the Eastern conference playoffs. So to me, um, they're probably going to be the most scrutinized team in the entire league here uh, during the first round. I want to go back to the second round series. Look ahead a little bit in the East. I made the, so in Fort, since the fourteen fifteen season, the teams that have been top five in both categories, the world champion, the 14-15 was the world champion Golden State Warriors and the 60-win uh, Atlanta Hawks who ended up kind of fizzling out in the playoffs. The 73-win Warriors and the 67-win San Antonio Spurs did it in the 15-16 season. In the 16-17 season, the 67-win Golden State Warriors uh, were the only team to be both top five in both categories, offense and defense. In 17-18, the Toronto Raptors, who won 59, but not the not the championship Raptors, did it, but they were the only other team. In, in the 18-19 season, so last year, the Milwaukee Bucks were the only team that did it. This year, the Boston Celtics have done it, being top five in both offense and in defense, and Milwaukee has done it. Uh, and the Clippers have done it. So interestingly enough, there's three teams this year that have done it. Do, every, the, the, the in thing to do universally across the board right now is Toronto, Toronto. We all love Toronto. Why do I think Boston beats Toronto? Well, you're not crazy to think that. I think that Celtics fans have been liking that matchup against Milwaukee as well, too. They've played them tough all year. And if you look at their rosters like two through ten, I mean, I think Boston feels really good about its total talent compared to Milwaukee's outside of Giannis, right? So that puts all the pressure on Giannis to kind of win that series or, you know, carry most of the bulk on his shoulders. Um, You know, I think before the hiatus, I would have just said, you know, Milwaukee's going to win the East kind of point blank period. Um, I thought they were better than Boston on both sides of the basketball. They've been very average here in the hiatus. So if you really want to talk up the Celtics' chances, I think that's where it starts. Just Milwaukee looks more vulnerable. They've played them tough. Like I mentioned, they've got some different defensive options. They've, you know, they've got Tatum back on track after a little bit of a slow start in the bubble and they're very well coached. I mean, that's a a nice formula. I would still personally take Milwaukee, but I think you've got, you can make the case for three teams coming out of the East right now. Miami and Indiana is the other series. This one's really interesting to me. Miami's a much better half court offensive team. than I think people realize they're actually one of the top two or three in the NBA, so they get clogged down in the playoffs. They should be fine. But Indiana, frankly, is a better half-court defensive team than I think most people think about. Indiana's defense in the half-court is about fifth or sixth best in the NBA. This one's a really interesting series to me. It is. I'm actually hopping on the Heat bandwagon here a little bit. I saw them play tonight. They play really hard. They've got a lot of guys uh, they can go deep and get good minutes from. Um, they've got, you know, different combinations that are just tricky for other teams to handle. I mean, that, that Duncan Robinson uh, taking screens from Am- Bam Adebayo, I think, has worked out great for them. 
And then ultimately, Jimmy just puts a lot of pressure on defenses with his ability to get to the foul line. I think that's going to sort of be a, you know, a decisive factor there. I like their offense more than Indiana's defense. I want to give full credit to what the Pacers have done with all the injury issues and Oladipo not being right and everything else. I just think Miami's more talented. I think they have the best player. They've got great coaching. They've got some experienced veterans who have been there before. And I'm still not completely bought into the TJ Warren experience. I mean, it did feel like a fever dream when he's just banging three-pointers over LeBron James the other night and seemingly not missing for the first week of the bubble. But I kind of suspect that it's going to pass. He's going to come back to earth a little bit, and they're going to struggle to keep up with the Heat. And one I think will be really interesting in that series is Miami denies the rim. They're the fourth-best team in the league at not allowing the rim, so they allow a ton of threes. I think they allow either the most or the second. They are Toronto, which kind of they've been going back and forth, allow the two teams allow the most threes in the league, but that's not what Nate McMillan teams usually do. Nate McMillan teams don't usually bomb the three, so it's going to be interesting to me to see whether Indiana, who's 29th in the league at taking threes, suddenly opens up and takes a bunch against Miami. Yeah, I don't see it. I mean, I think that they're going to probably try to do what they do, and it's just not going to be enough. I mean, I hate to be like, you know, captain pessimist on on them, but um, I like Miami a lot. I mean, I think that, you know, looking ahead to second round matchups, if it winds up being Miami, Milwaukee, and that's a really good one too. I think that we're, this is shaping up kind of across the board to having some pretty awesome second round matchups. If, you know, if the teams that we expect to win wind up winning, I think that we're going to have at least three really good series, if not four. Who are your picks? Let's do it. Let's put it out of the board. Let's put it out. Western conference finals, Eastern conference finals. What are you doing? Oh man, I, I I hate to change my picks midstream, so I'm going to stick with uh, you know Clippers uh, and Lakers. I feel much more confident about the Clippers than I do at the Lakers at this point, largely because of that Rockets matchup. In, in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm just going to take Chalk, Milwaukee, and, and Toronto. Sorry, those are so boring. I hear all your points on uh, Boston; they're very well taken. Um, I I just tend to favor. You know, Toronto's got a little bit of an experience edge against Boston. They're, they've been playing great basketball down here, here, and the Kemba question has me a little bit nervous from Boston's standpoint. So I'll, I'll, in a very close second-round series going seven games, I'll take Toronto there. All right, I'm going Clippers, Rockets, Bucks, Celtics. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, they make sense yeah, both ways. And they're, they're all plausible. And, you know, frankly, I do think that somebody could, you know, come through here and spoil and crash the party. I, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility to me that we see something like that. Um, I think Houston's the most obvious candidate, I guess, from a, a lower seed, um, you know, in either conference. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if we got that just because of the way the games are being played down here and the lack of home court advantage that you were talking about earlier. He's Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. I'm David Locke. Thanks for tuning in. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports and at Ben Golliver and give us your thoughts on our takes on the matchups and get ready for the playoffs. They're coming. It is something special going on in the bubble. Ben Golliver's there covering it at the Washington Post. Make sure you give it a read. Also, a great addition tomorrow. Anthony and Adam will continue to preview it. Lakers and Nuggets heat. If Anthony listened, he's really mad right now. So make sure you listen to tomorrow's edition of Locked On <laughs> NBA. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.